0: Welcome to our December episodes. We're going to be looking at Christmas history. Today we're going to play two past episodes from all the way back in season one. Today is Saint Nicholas Day, so I thought it would be kind of fun to play the history of Saint Nicholas. Then we're going to look at the song I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Welcome back to Church History. It's December and I'm sitting here in my office looking out the window as the snow is slowly drifting down. I love the snow in December. Not so much in January or February, but I do love the snow in December. Before we start the first part of our episode, let me remind you to check out my first book in the series, The Church is Born. Actually, the first part of our episode today, the story of St. Nicholas, is found in our first book. In the book, you're going to hear about the life of the real Saint Nicholas and how much he loved God and stood for truth. I will have a link to the book in the show notes. In the story today, you're going to hear about the Council of Nicaea, one of the most important councils in church history. If you want to hear more about this council, you can read about it in my book or listen to the episode of the podcast. It's called Nicaean Creed and it's episode number nine. In our second story, We're going to tell the story of a man who wanted to skip Christmas. He didn't see how anyone could celebrate the holiday. He had lost his wife and was about to lose his son. His country was falling apart, and he didn't recognize it anymore. He was living in complete hopelessness, until he heard some bells from a church playing a Christmas carol. I originally recorded this story in 2019, but I understand it much more now. I lost my mother a month ago, and I understand wanting to simply skip the holiday, because there doesn't really seem to be anything to celebrate. But this story is a reminder of why we celebrate Christmas, and why when we feel completely hopeless, that is the best time to celebrate Christmas, because that is when hope was born. Enjoy these two stories. We're going to start with St. Nick. So, we go all the way back to the year AD 325. It's been about 300 years since Jesus died and rose again, and a group of Christian leaders are meeting. The meeting starts on May 20th and lasts until June the 19th. It's called the Council of Nicaea. Present at this meeting are a lot of religious leaders, but there's two in particular, Nicholas and Arius. Now, Nicholas believes that Jesus was and is God. He died, but rose again and is alive. Arius believes Jesus was a man. He was not God. He is dead now, and we can learn from his writings. Arius stands and addresses the group. He's speaking and explains to the group his view on who Jesus is. Nicholas stands in defiance, and the two men begin arguing. As Arius continues to say that Jesus was not God, Nicholas runs forward and punches him in the face and knocks him to the ground. Other than a very strong believer in the fact that Jesus is and was God, Nicholas was a very wealthy man. His parents had left him a lot of money and he gave his money away generously. One day, Nicholas heard about a man who had three daughters. The man had no money and his daughters were about to be taken away as slaves. And the girls wanted to be married, but they had no money for the wedding. Nicholas wanted to help, but he was a humble man. He didn't want anyone to know the help came from him. So he dropped three pieces of gold through a window for the man, one for each daughter. Now the girls had been hanging stockings by the window so that they would dry. and The gold landed in the stockings of the girls that they had hung by the window. The money helped pay off the father's debt and pay for the girl's wedding. Now that story spread quickly. This was not the only time Nicholas dropped money or gold through windows or down chimneys to help people. After he died, the church set aside December the 6th to remember his generous giving and how hard he fought to keep purity of the scriptures. To celebrate his special day, they gave gifts to each other. His story was told to children as a way to teach them to be kind and generous. The story became very popular in Germany and also with the Dutch people. They had two different versions of this story and they pronounced the name kind of differently. Now, when America was founded, people began traveling to America and Canada from Germany and the Netherlands. The Germans and the Dutch brought this celebration of St. Nicholas Day with them on December the 6th. Now, the British were celebrating December 25th, Christmas Day, and the two celebrations sort of merged. English liked the giving gifts thing with St. Nicholas Day, but when they tried to pronounce St. Nicholas Day... With the accent that the Germans and the Dutch used, it kind of came out more like Santa Claus. But it really only took off in the southern parts of the United States. In the north, no one was really celebrating Santa Claus Day. Then came the Civil War to free the slaves. Lincoln made posters of St. Nicholas hanging out with the Union Army troops as a way to make the rebel soldiers angry. He kind of stole their guy and made, put their guy into his army. The posters became part of northern propaganda and by the end of the Civil War, St. Nicholas or Santa Claus was part of all of American celebration. But it wasn't until Coca-Cola decided they would use this guy as an image in their posters that we got the Santa Claus of today. Now he always had a red robe because he was a bishop and bishops wore red robes. But the large big belly and the rosy cheeks and the white cuffs around the edge of his coat, that's all from an artist from Coca-Cola. All right. So today, if you want to celebrate Santa Claus, try it this way. Be generous. Be kind. Punch a teacher of false doctrine in the face. Okay, just kidding. Don't go out and punch anyone. But you can stand up for the true teachings of the Bible, that Jesus is God, if Nicholas was alive today. He probably wouldn't like the remembrance of him giving him God-like qualities. So if you really want to celebrate the man Nicholas, be respectful of his beliefs. He believed Jesus is God and he believed Jesus was the only one who could get us to heaven. So don't give Nicholas those God-like characters because he wouldn't have liked that. Are you enjoying this podcast? Do you want to support this podcast? Well, pour yourself a cup of coffee and imagine waking up each morning with a reminder from our church fathers. Check out our Etsy page where you can find mugs with quotes from great men and women of God. You'll find a link in the show notes. And now, back to our episode. There was a time Henry had spent Christmas sitting with his wife by the fire while his son Charlie had played with a new set of jacks. That had been a happy time. That was how Christmas was supposed to be. But today may be December 25th on the calendar, but there's nothing Christmas about this day. It's cold, and we are in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Henry isn't sitting next to his wife. He's sitting next to the bed of his son. He doesn't know if Charlie will survive. Henry puts his face into his horribly scarred hands and breathes heavily. He doesn't cry. There's no tears left. Over the last two years, he's cried until there just were no more tears. He's let anger rage, but now even anger is gone. The world is surely going to end. There's no way for life to continue. Henry is exhausted. He can't sleep at night. He can't close his eyes. Every time he does, he sees her. He sees his wife, Francis. Two years ago, Francis had just been sitting, getting ready to send out Christmas mail. It had been just a year since the election. The election. That election that turned the whole world on its head. How the Republican Party won, he really didn't understand. The Democrats fighting and nominating two different candidates, that didn't help. Plus, people were just done with the Whig Party. But no one expected this tall skinny man who was so unpresidential to actually win the presidency, and he clearly was not prepared. Almost immediately, half the country was leaving the Union, and war was on the horizon. The Republican Party was created to end slavery, and the South wasn't going to have it. But even in all the chaos, Frances made life enjoyable. She refused to let the bitterness and anger come over her, and she continued to live life the way she always had. So here she was, sitting by the fire, sealing envelopes with hot wax. Sitting too close to the fire, her dress somehow caught fire. Henry heard the screams and ran into the room. The sight of his beloved wife engulfed in flames still haunts him. He had used his own hands to get the fire out, and the others in the home had gotten them both to the hospital. Francis had an agonizing 24 hours before she died of her burns. They buried her, and Henry was still recovering from his burns and was not even able to bury his own wife. Henry went into a depression. Then, almost exactly a year ago, on January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln had issued the final Emancipation Proclamation. It said, All slaves within the rebellious states are, and henceforth shall be, Free, a day that was celebrated here in Cambridge and across the North and in the homes of slaves across the South, but a day that only seemed to make the bitterness and the battles grow more fierce. Then Charlie made the choice to fight. Charlie knew how Henry felt about the war. Killing fellow citizens, that wasn't the answer. Slavery needed to end, but not this way. Most of the soldiers in the South were young boys who didn't even own slaves and were being forced to fight. Charlie had left for war without even telling Henry he joined the war. He left a note. It read like this. Papa, you know how long a time I have wanted to enter the war. I have tried hard to resist the temptation of going without your leave, but I cannot any longer. I feel it to be my duty to do what I can for my country. And I would willingly lay down my life for it, if it would be of any good. God bless you. Yours affectionately, Charlie. Over the last year, Henry had read every paper, heard every story from the war. Then just a month ago, the Battle of Gettysburg. On the Union side, 3,155 dead, 14,529 wounded, and 5,365 missing. On the Confederate side, 3,903 dead, 18,735 injured, and 5,425 missing. In total, over 51,000 soldiers, dead, wounded, or missing. President Lincoln had visited the Battle of the Site and had given a speech. The first man who spoke gave a long, elaborate speech. And then this tall, skinny president had stood to speak. People had expected a great presidential speech. But instead, he spoke for only three minutes. Three minutes! It went like this. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We've met on a great battlefield of that war, and we have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who gave their lives that this nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, they have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note, nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who have fought have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be more dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. There was definitely a lot of people in power who thought Lincoln needed to no longer be president, and yet the common people here in the north loved him. For Henry, as a writer, He could see the beauty in the simplicity of the President's language. And as a father, worrying about his son, he was one of the men President Lincoln was talking to. And then the news came to Henry. His son had been shot. He survived but was badly injured. Now, Christmas Day, Charles lay here in the bed, Henry sitting next to him, wondering what God was doing. Just at that moment, when Henry was sitting next to the bed with his face in his hands, the bells from the church began to ring. They were singing Christmas carols. Why? Why would anyone even try to celebrate Christmas? There just was nothing to celebrate. The angels had said God was bringing peace on earth. That Jesus was peace for the earth. But there was no peace. There was Nowhere on this God-forsaken planet, peace. What we have was hate. So much hate. Henry rose from his chair and walked to the window. Snow was falling. The bells were ringing. And even in the chaos of the world around him, he saw it. Peace. There was a stirring in his heart and he felt God speak to him. I am. I am not dead. I am not asleep. I am peace on earth, I am. Henry walked over to a nearby desk and began to write. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound of carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to me. And it was as if an earthquake rent the heartstones of a continent and made forlorn the house bolds born of peace on earth goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is not peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth goodwill to men. Then peel the bells more loud and deep God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Henry signed the bottom of the poem, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Charlie did survive, although he was unable to return to the battlefield. And on April the ninth, 1885, A year and a half after Henry wrote this poem, the Civil War ended. And ten years later, in 1872, the poem Henry wrote was set to music, but the two middle stanzas were left out. Today the song is still sung, and what a reminder this year for us. In the states, the Republican and Democrats are still fighting. Race tensions. War is still all around us. The church in Africa is being attacked and hundreds killed every week. And many across the world are grieving the loss of loved ones. Perhaps, like Henry, you feel like there's no peace on earth and no reason to even celebrate the holiday. But we must remember, God is not dead. God is not asleep. Peace will prevail. The only way to end this story is to listen to a choir sing, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. The Slavic Choir has graciously allowed me to play their choir piece, so please check out their YouTube channel. You're going to find it in the show notes. And here, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I hope you enjoyed this episode replaying some of our past episodes. I'm currently researching and writing episodes for two new history of the carols for next week. I will also continue to play some of my older episodes about Christmas carols. In the meantime, don't forget to order my book. And if you want to hear more podcasts, check out my website, lauraleesiemens.com, and I'll see you next week.